This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Monday, November 27th, 2023. Hope uh, everybody listening had a great Thanksgiving. Um, even, uh, or perhaps even especially all those people around the world who do not themselves in their country. Uh, of home celebrate Thanksgiving officially. Um, I know I had a great Thanksgiving, and we were just discussing before the show. Dornall himself also had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know. Is there any other good news that came down the pike since last week? No. Uh, I've stayed away from anything that might be regarded as news. Well, I just read something today. Uh, along uh, to go along with today's topic, if you are a fan of Schadenfreude or you just plain hate Disney, um, they continue to lose billions and billions of dollars at the box office because nobody wants to see Marvel crap and nobody wants to see the new uh, animated movie Wish. Supposedly, according to this YouTube video I watched yesterday, and I haven't verified this, so I, I'm not vouching for this, but uh, they said that Disney has had seven legitimate bombs this year, seven movies that have lost money. And I know before Marvels and Wish, they were already down a billion dollars for the year. They had already lost a billion dollars this year. So the Marvels and Wish will have only added to that. They may legitimately lose, you know, a billion and a half to like $1.8 billion this year. Probably closer to a billion and a half dollars this year. That's, I don't care who you are. That's, that's noticeable coinage. <laughs> <laughs> And especially for uh, uh, the uh, failed attempt at leadership at Disney, um, Bob Iger back at the helm, and uh, they can't—they just can't stop losing money and putting out garbage stuff. Nobody wants to watch. I had uh, somebody. My response to that. What I originally, what I immediately thought of was uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where Principal Rooney tells her, your son has been absent nine times. And the mom is all incredulous. Nine times? I don't remember him being absent nine times. And uh, I, uh, I don't remember Disney having seven bombs, but <laughs> somebody uh, went and grabbed, because I don't remember Disney releasing seven films this year, but somebody who was replying, I, I posted this to Twitter, of course, somebody uh, who was replying to me went out and grabbed uh, the release link. Apparently Disney has released legitimately uh, 11 movies this year. So those 11 movies, uh, this person apparently was counting seven of those as legitimate bombs. And it's not surprising if you don't remember at least seven of them being bombs, because you probably don't remember any of those movies that weren't Marvel movies. Uh, for example, you probably don't remember Element. Element, I remember that came out. I certainly didn't want to watch it. Right, but you didn't remember it until I mentioned it, right? You're uh, you're coming in pretty faint, War Pig. Are I'm you sorry. casting from the inside of your refrigerator? No, I'm, I'm... back. No, I I remember uh, Element came and gone in a flash. Uh, yeah. The, uh, nobody cares. Was that 2023? Yes, that was this year. Absolute um, trash. 
so element came and went um then you had uh the new taika waititi movie uh september which is like one more goal i think which nobody heard about beforehand nobody knew anything about during and you know nobody went and saw <laughs> Uh, yep, I mean, that guy's a that guy is a stinker machine. So these the movies they've made uh, this year. I mean, you've got uh, the Little Mermaid live action movie came out in twenty twenty three. Did not do well. Um. All of these movies they've been releasing, people were just not interested in. And even the ones that were legitimately kind of okay movies that might have done better, Disney's damaged its brand so much that people just aren't willing to go see Disney movies. Um, let's see. Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny. Haunted Mansion. Uh, apparently a haunting in Venice, which I'm going to guess that's a Fox movie, not a Disney movie. Um, something called Chevalier. Um, the Boogeyman. Um, I mean... These are movies that are like legitimate big bombs. That no so, one's heard of. Yeah. The only movie on this list of the 11 movies the Disney released uh, that I would consider to be even a success is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, but even that was brought down by just people no longer trusting Disney brand. Um, so, yeah. I'm not surprised at all. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where we know, everybody knows just how bad movies are these days. And Disney owns most of the IPs for most of the movies that are out. You know, it's simple math. Uh, they're going to lose money and they're going to continue to lose money. Because <clears throat> people are tired of the crap. People are tired of going to the movies. Um, Disney's squandered all of its goodwill amongst Amongst people who aren't actual Disney fans. Who don't just like to see whatever comes out for them. So. There's a little bit of um, schadenfreude for you. So <clears throat> the Hunger Games that you talked about before Thanksgiving. That one's still on top. Um, that's how badly brand new releases Wish and Napoleon are doing. Uh, there's nothing. Oh, yeah. There's nothing in the top 20 even worth noting except maybe the marvels which is the other uh flop wish debuted at number three yep and then this is the hundredth anniversary walt disney movie it's the movie they made to celebrate a hundred years of disney films and it debuted at number three It you gotta work real hard to be that bad. It had a disastrous holiday, you know, disastrous weekend opening. Word of mouth on it has been terrible. It just, the traders looked awful. The ideas in it looked awful. Um, and then some of the things that came out of the sh uh, out of 
pre-screenings that were later confirmed to actually be in the movie are even worse. Um, it's just turning audiences off. Uh, speaking of absolute uh, flops, I uh, I treated myself to a let's just call it <clears throat> let's just call it some candy, some junk food, uh, and I saw the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. You can just get it on streaming. Yeah, I didn't I review that. I don't recall. Oh, I may have watched that. During one of the weeks when we uh, when we had guests, I was going to do a review of that. Well, how about a micro review? It's terrible. Go watch uh, Willie's Wonderland with Nicolas Cage again instead. Not terrible. Just wasn't very good. Oh yeah, I did do I did do a really really tiny micro pocket review of it. Um, yeah, it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> no, I I don't need to revisit what I said on the air. Yep. Yep. A bunch of stuff that that nobody really wants to watch. Killers of the Flower Moon. I couldn't even tell you what that was about, but I've I've seen that name fly by a couple times. Another hopeful that bombed. Um, it's about uh, oil men in Oklahoma in the 1920s stealing land from Indian tribes, and they hire Leonardo DiCaprio to marry an Osagi princess so that he can uh, inherit her land under which there is oil and uh, evil oilmen uh, led by um, they, they murder these poor Indian men and then Leonardo DiCaprio falls in love with his Osagi princess and, and tries to fight back um, not going to lie, dude. That sounds dreadful. Well, it's a movie that could be good, but in modern day, probably isn't. But that's the that's the setup. I've Got no it. I, rec I recall seeing trailers for that, or, or at least commercials for it. Um... Got another one for you. This one you'll like. Uh, me and the wife sat down to enjoy some uh, heart-pounding action in Extraction 2. Have you seen this yet? I have not watched it. It's in my list. It's on Did you Netflix. see the first one with... Uh, with uh, It's Chris Hemsworth. Yes, plays I saw the, lead. the first one. It was all right. I yeah. enjoyed it. It's uh, Extraction 2 is back with more of the same. I mean, it's all right. It's a, it's sort of a fast-paced action movie. Chris Hemsworth is uh, almost as awesome as John Wick. And uh, it's really gruesome and violent in a lot of ways. Lots of shooting, lots of, uh, lots of blood and stuff. Lots of heart-pounding action. And uh, unfortunately, the uh, downside is that uh, some of the extended action scenes, the way it's sort of cut, and filmed and put together feels a little video gamey um but hey if you want to see hemsworth be a total badass and take on six guys with guns at the same time uh it's a good popcorn flick you're gonna like it i saw a streaming original series i don't even want to talk about the series but they had this line in here that was so abysmal, I, I had to mention it. Um, this guy finds a ring. Um, his wife got captured and thrown back in time uh, to 10,000 BC. And he finds her diamond 
wedding ring that she left. He digs it up out of the dirt and he hands it to someone as proof. And he says, I want you to carbon date this. And I just, now I will admit, I have not had specific training on gold or diamond, but I was able to instantly surmise that because gold, the alloy in an 18 karat gold ring, which I assume that's what the wedding ring was because that's what rings typically are, right? Mm -hmm. It does not contain any carbon. I was able to surmise that you could not carbon date the gold. There is no carbon. I also surmised that because the carbon in the diamond was literally formed millions of years ago, and because of the way carbon dating works, you just couldn't carbon date the diamond either. That was a, you know, deduction from what I did know about it. Again, I threw this up on Twitter and everybody was like, uh, all the people who did know what they were talking about was like, no, dude, you're, you're right. That's absolutely impossible. That's ridiculous. And I'm like, I knew that was insane. I just, I couldn't believe they put that in the show. It made me want to barf. <laughs> oh. I just, I mean, and, and this is the other thing I thought of instantly. You're dealing with archaeology. And what happens is ground accumulates over the years. The deeper things are buried, the further back in time, they are. And in fact, in this series, they literally go to an archaeological dig. They didn't need to carbon date the ring. All that needed to happen was for him to say, this is my wife's wedding ring. And I want to, you know, I got it at this particular strata. And that, you know, I found it in this place with all of these artifacts from 10,000 BC. Look, here it is. It would have been so easy because that's what they also did did in the same show <laughs> I mean it's one thing to screw something up when you don't have any other option and you're just hoping the audience is too ignorant or stupid to understand that and you're just throwing science terms at them it's another thing when you have the solution right there and you just walk right past it because uh, you're too lazy uh, or whatever uh, just annoyed the stuffing out of me did not do the research I don't expect people to be as educated or intelligent as I am. 
but a minimum of research would be nice. <laughs> oh. uh, research is not necessary in the writing a script with cool stuff stage. So, yeah, that aggravated me. You don't have to, uh, you know, bore your audience with hyper-technical details. But if you've already put the details in there anyway, why not just use them? Right? <laughs> you I hear you. Absolutely. If you're already... You know what that... You know, that just, it just screams of scripting by committee. Um, a bunch of people not talking to each other. Just throwing a script together with uh, studio hands meddling in it. That's what that smells like. And, and it, it, it may be that they were just putting together these episodes as they went along and they didn't know what was going to happen, and, and they were just throwing things together from episode to episode because they had no idea what was going on. Um, this show was really, really, really trying hard to be another Lost. Um, but they didn't have the talent to pull off the mystery box like Lost did. Um in other words, they were throwing up all these mysteries, but they weren't talented enough to make them appealing or to make them uh, compelling. And so it may be, uh, and it was that the ring was in one episode and the archaeological dig didn't come along until another episode or two later. So it may just be that they didn't know that they would need an archaeological dig and they just invented that later. And they didn't take the time to go back and redo it. They were just being lazy. But, man, people really need to do better. <laughs> because it's a streaming original series. So it's meant to be binged. So people are going to watch this one after another. And they're going to notice crap like this. So you need to make sure that it makes sense when viewed all together, all at the same time. You can't just put together random episodes and hope that the weaknesses don't show up. So, did you, in fact, have a chance to go watch Napoleon? I did not. Busy at work all day up until like half hour before the show. Um, well, I saw it today. And it... <laughs> it's not a great start. I'm worried about you. I, I feel like that I'm the sort of person who should be the audience for this movie. Um, what do you mean? Uh, like Master and Commander I love. I mean, I'm an action movie guy. I love action movies. I like science mm -hmm. fiction and, and fantasy and, and things like that. So you might not think that a prestige picture that's kind of slow with, with talky parts would be my kind of film. But I really do like well-done movies. And Master and Commander is a great movie. I loved it. 
uh, first time I saw it. And so this movie should be the kind of movie that appeals to me. I should be the target audience for this movie. And it's just not compelling. I witnessed the movie. I didn't so much watch it as I witnessed it. And it's about Napoleon and all his battles. It, here's the thing. They made a movie about Steve Jobs. But instead of focusing on Steve Jobs and Apple and what he did with Apple, they focused on his relationship with his daughter, which literally had almost nothing to do with Steve Jobs' life. Of all the things in Steve Jobs' life that you could focus on, that had nearly nothing to do with just percentage-wise that absolutely nothing to do with his life. He was kind of a distant, absent father. He put all of his time and effort into Apple, into Next Computing, into Pixar. Um, and he changed the world. And there are so many things in his life that are big and dramatic that you spend all of your time, he spent all of his time on that consumed his life. His relationship with his daughter is almost irrelevant. You can mention that, but to focus a whole movie around his relationship with his daughter, that would be like making a movie about Adolf Hitler and making it entirely about his relationship with a small poodle he owned. I mean, mm. if you took the totality of Adolf Hitler's life, you could not get a good understanding of who Adolf Hitler was by focusing a movie on his relationship with his dog. I actually think Hitler owned dogs. Um, that's just not what defines dog owners. Life. Are Nazis okay. confirmed? <laughs> That's just not what defined the life of Adolf Hitler, and what really? Ridley what Scott did in this movie is of all the things that you could focus on in defining the life of Napoleon. What he did focus on, what this movie is about. And I don't mean in some deep, fundamental, thematic sense. I mean, what the movie spends all of its time on to where everything else is just backdrop for is his relationship with Josephine, his, his first wife, Empress Josephine. And you've complained in the past that Christopher Nolan, that his movies are distant and cold, that even when there are romances, there's just no chemistry. There's just no, you know, no sparks on the screen. He doesn't display human emotions. This movie... Whatever the truth 
of Napoleon's relationship with Josephine was. However, that influenced Napoleon. First off, it was a tiny part of who Napoleon was. Absolutely did not define his life. What defined Napoleon's life was his ambition, his uh, tactical and strategic genius, his relationships with other European powers, the loyalty he inspired in his men, his rise from, you know, being a military nobody to being emperor of France and conquering so much of Europe. So many things that you could focus on. So his relationship with Josephine is the smallest part of his life. And then the relationship that we get on screen is fundamentally dishonest. I know no more about who Napoleon was, who Josephine was, and what their relationship was like now than I did when I watched the movie than before I watched the movie. I don't know who wrote it, and I don't know if it was really Scott that wrote it or if he just, you know, found this script and wanted to make it. I read that what his, he really wanted to do, what his ambition was with this script was to make huge practical battles to where he literally shot, you know, in an old fashioned sense, instead of having a computer animated armies with real people filling in on a little bit of part of a battlefield, he wanted to have huge actual real men in real uniforms moving about a battlefield in these magnificent set pieces. The problem is, it's a big so what. Each of those battles is just cut so short that they're meaningless. And the battles themselves, in a larger sense, are meaningless in this movie. You don't need those battles. Because they have nothing to do with the story he's trying to tell. You could have mentioned those battles, you know, as he does in his letters. Because Napoleon, the battlefield tactician, is irrelevant to the movie. He did not make the movie he wanted to be making <laughs> and the movie that he did make is so to, to get back I don't know who wrote this but whoever wrote this script there uh, there is a meme that goes around that says tonight on uh, police files the writers barely disguised fetish that's the one um, whoever wrote this uh, just had this weird fetishy sexual thing up on screen. There is literally no nudity, but there are at least three sex scenes, maybe four, maybe five. I, I didn't count exactly. And they're all really weird. And the relationship between the two feels dishonest. 
it, it doesn't feel like a real or compelling human relationship, which is where we come back to Christopher Nolan. It's not that there's no emotion between them. There's plenty of emotion between them. It just doesn't feel like real human emotion. Um, oh, that doesn't sound pleasant at all. You know, at one point she's tormenting him in conversation. So it's this weird uh, S&M, verbal S&M. There's no physical abuse or anything like that. But this weird verbal S&M for a few moments of screen time. That's like, what? what is that? Uh, and there was a part that showed up in a trailer where... Um, you know, they're sitting there talking and he's just been, he's just courting her and she hikes up her skirt and opens her leg and exposes herself to him. And What? In, in a, a movie about Napoleon? In a movie about Napoleon. You don't see anything. Literally no nudity. But it's like, that's how she... He's already smitten with her. He's already in love with her. And that's how she gets him to... I have no idea if this even happened because it doesn't feel real. The movie doesn't feel grounded enough. It doesn't feel honest enough. It doesn't feel true enough to who Napoleon was that... You can trust anything that's going on on screen. Every movie has to have shortcuts. Every movie has to conflate characters. They have to combine events that happened in, you know, two different places at two different times to kind of make it make sense to condense it for, for two or three hours on screen. Movies have to be fundamentally dishonest, but in that dishonesty, you can be honest about the characters, you can be honest about the situations, and you can be close enough to real history for people to, to feel like they understand Napoleon as a person more. Or you can do what they did with um, the Freddie Mercury biopic, which is have this, uh, th there's a movie, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which is a parody of all of the musical biopics because they all follow a formula and they all rewrite the lives of these musicians to follow these beats to the, to the very minute of the movie. And that's what they did in the Freddie Mercury biopic, right? Fundamentally dishonest. The events that happened did not happen in that order. They did not happen at that time. They completely changed Freddie Mercury's life in order to make it fit this artificial biopic format, this artificial musician biopic format that they make fun of in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That's one way to be completely dishonest to where you're so far away from this, uh, the reality of their lives. Even so, it seems from what I've read that they got the personalities of Queen, the personality of Freddie Mercury, the personality of the people around him, largely correct. That the Freddie Mercury they depict um, was pretty close to the historical Freddie Mercury in his personality and his aspirations and things like that. But none of the events can be trusted in that movie. In this movie, Napoleon that they present on screen is absolutely nothing like the real Napoleon. Um, and so... It's not the plot that makes no sense. 
it's not the story that makes no sense. It's it's emotionally feels muddled because you don't connect with the people on screen. It's like they're taking actions which you can recognize as actions a human being might take, but there's no connection with the characters as characters. The performance that they drew out of Joaquin Phoenix, who is an incredible actor, he's a fabulous actor. What his character is like on screen does not match the actions that Napoleon takes. Because you cannot imagine this person you're watching with the emotions he has, with the mannerisms and the personality he's displaying. You cannot imagine him taking these actions. It just makes no sense. Um, just is a complete disconnect between who they've chosen to depict on screen and what Napoleon did in history that they're trying to convince you this person did. Um, and, and I'm just all I can think of is if you can have a if you can imagine a character whose characterization is that they are, Absolutely one thing, completely, you know, moral, upright, upstanding, courageous, and honorable. And that's how they act. And yet every single thing that they physically do in the movie is corrupt and vile. They betray friends. They, you know, steal they crush competitors, whatever. You would be confused emotionally. There has to be a consonance between the personality and the characteristics of this person you see on screen and the things they do. If you see someone who is weak and vacillating and unsure of themselves, they cannot also be absolutely decisive and make decisions uh, that are bold, that are uncompromising, and that are cunning, and that are right. I mean, that are correct, that are practical that achieve their effects it doesn't make sense and so this movie is emotionally confusing because um who they've chosen to portray napoleon as just doesn't match the historical events they're trying to convince you that happened. Um, one of the other things I noticed is that what could have been used to backstop these scenes is good music that matched the mood that they were trying to sell. And this movie lacked good music. And by which I mean, not that the music was poor, not that it was a bad, you know, badly written score or anything. It's just that it, it, it didn't, it didn't marry the events of the scene with the score in such a way that it seamlessly carried you along and made you feel the emotions that the screenwriter wanted you to feel. You can get away with some mistakes 
if you have a character who you want the audience to think is acting heroically, even though they're doing something that is, objectively speaking, pretty scummy, you can stick a nice heroic score underneath it, and the audience's emotions are going to be stirred. They're going to be like, oh, that's... Dun, da, da, dun, 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 da, da, dun. They're going to be stirred to feeling these great feelings of grandeur and passion and may even be fooled into thinking that that's a morally courageous thing when it isn't. That's, that's literally called propaganda, right? Mm. Where you stir the audience's emotions through the images and through the music to where you make the vile seem noble and heroic. That's the power of music. That's the power of images. This movie utterly failed to use music effectively to wallpaper over the weaknesses in their depiction of Napoleon. So the tools that the filmmaker had at his disposal to bridge this gap of a vacillating, pathetic, mewling Napoleon. And if you're going to have Napoleon be a, a simp for Josephine, and that's your story between him and Josephine, is that he's a simp for her who, who only occasionally, because he's goaded by his domineering mother, stands up to her and demands things of her. But on the battlefield, he's this courageous man. You have to have something in the movie that explains this dichotomy. You have to have moments of emotional truth. In discussion, or whatever. I don't know what material you need to put in there or can put in there. If that's your thesis on Napoleon, that he was a uh, whipping boy for his wife at home, but he was this, you know, brave, because uh, they show him being physically courageous on the battlefield. I mean, the very first battle in the movie, he rides, he goes to ride out into the battle. The horse he's riding gets shot with a cannonball. It embeds itself in the chest of the horse. It blows up the, blows open uh, the chest of the horse. It falls over. He gets up, he grabs his saber, and he charges into battle anyway. They show him being physically courageous. But, but those actions don't match the personality and character of the man they're, they're showing us at home. You have to bridge that emotional gap. It, it, if your thesis is the duality of this man, where he's brave on the battlefield, but, you know, uh, a little wimp at home. You have to put something in there to feed that to the audience. Because otherwise it just feels emotionally dishonest and they didn't do that. It's absent from the movie. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. The battle scenes are gorgeous. Um, they're well done. Uh, I've heard several of uh, you know the bros talking about um, the battle tactics where they would form squares on the battlefield and horsemen would ride around them at, at you know point blank range with just within just a few feet of each other firing these unrifled muskets and pistols at each other from horseback into these squares and from the squares into the cavalry took immense amounts of physical courage um you know, and you got to see them marching in straight lines. And then when the cavalry was charging, 
them forming these squares on the battlefield. It's it's gorgeous. And I've been told, I've seen people posting on Twitter that there was another Napoleon movie in the 70s that did it better. That's fine. I wish I remembered the title of it or had that tweet to hand. I would I would absolutely tell you what it was. Um, it's not a bad movie. It's not a poorly done movie. This is one of the movies that that has used drone shots effectively in a controlled fashion. I, I, I see so many times people have used drones and drones are a new technology. It always takes Hollywood time to learn how to deploy a new technology effectively. And I've seen drone shots used in ways that are just too like uncontrolled and fluid. Like they're not directing the audience's view they're not being used as shots. You're just kind of being dragged fluidly over the uh, across the screen, and it's kind of like almost sick making. You have to use the, uh, shots in a controlled fashion to where it's like the audience is looking into a, a window on the world. Um, and and. Ridley Scott uses drone shots in a beautiful and controlled fashion. Uh, there's something I noticed, something I deeply appreciated, because it it may be the first movie I've seen do that. I'm not saying it's the first movie that's done it, but it's the first movie I, I've seen doing it. Um, and if other filmmakers could learn from that, that would be awesome. You know, the, the cast turns in strong performances. It's just that the person at the center of this, or the two people at the center of this, Napoleon and Josephine. Got that Got that video movie, by the way, the other Napoleon movie called Waterloo, starring Richard Burton from 1971. Thanks, Brother okay. Walker, in the chat. Um, so you were saying about the, you know, the interesting use of drone shots and, and other things. Oh, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, it's not a bad movie per se. It, it's well shot. Um, the performances are well done. I mean, whatever it was that Ridley Scott was going for, Joaquin Phoenix seems to have been delivering it. It's just that whoever wrote this script seems to have this nasty fetish about being servile towards women. To where Napoleon is presented in this utterly servile manner towards um, Josephine and his mom. And I have no idea if that's the real Napoleon or not. Because it felt so dishonest watching the movie. It felt so con emotionally confusing. It wasn't an intellectual thing. This is me thinking about my experience of watching the movie. They needed to bridge that. Who are you as a person if you're utterly servile at home to your spouse, but... It, and it really does remind me of just the way I've seen, you know, S&M dominatrix relationships represented in, in fiction um, to where a person is begging for humiliation. He did not literally beg for humiliation on screen. Napoleon did. But it's that level of servility. Um, and it, it's like you can sense, looking back on it, that the writer themselves is unwholesomely attracted to the servility of men to domineering women. And I have no idea if that was true. None. Could it have been true? Maybe. But if so, if that's the duality you're presenting, it needed to be explained or depicted better. If all there is to Napoleon is servility, if that's the only emotional truth you're depicting, 
then all of his heroism and courage make no sense. And you feel confused emotionally. And that's what's wrong with this movie. Yes, there's tons of historical, you know, uh, historical falsities in the movie. Napoleon is shown shooting his cannons at the Great Pyramids, which never happened in real life. Um, and there are other things, I assume. I'm sure there's going to be a cottage industry on YouTube of uh, historians criticizing the historical details of this movie. I just wish I had gotten a better glimpse at who Napoleon was uh, instead of a, 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 the only education I've gotten is, is into the writer's barely disguised fetish. Sounds dreadful. The movie isn't dreadful. It's just that what ruins it is that one thing. And maybe most people wouldn't know why that's what ruined the movie. I have a feeling that a lot of people aren't going to put that together. That a lot of people aren't going to have, you know, aren't going to understand that it's the contrast between Napoleon's servility at home and his courage and cunning on the battlefield to where it feels like those two things can't fit together and they don't fit together. And based on that dissatisfaction, they're going to come up with a whole list of reasons, true or false, why they think the movie's bad. But that's what's at its core, is that the movie is fundamentally dishonest. It does not sell. It's, it's not dreadful. It's confusing. What's dreadful is the writing process. What's dreadful is that whoever wrote the script um, for whatever reason either because they wanted to or they couldn't help themselves just allowed that to, to, to sink into the script, you don't have to add a lot of food coloring to turn water a different color. Even if it's a tiny amount of food coloring, it's going to color the whole, you know, cup of water. And this servility is only a tiny part of the movie in that sense. But it does color everything about Napoleon. Even when he's domineering and trying and ordering Josephine to do things, he's ordering her to do, to act like she loves him, to act like she cares about him, to act like she's as devoted to him as he is to her. But he's, he's that doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like anything you want to see when you hear Ridley Scott's Napoleon. I mean, I wanted Gladiator with French people. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to hear. On tonight's yeah. show. Oh, well. I'm just saying the movie itself isn't a... On a technical level, on a, you know performances, everything about the movie that they did, it isn't a dreadful movie. It's a dreadful script. It's a dreadful story. And we've been talking about how bad Disney's been failing. Um, 
and how bad the products coming out of Hollywood. And this is a thesis that I, or a drum that I've been beating, a thesis I've put forward, propounded many times. What has been failing Hollywood is not its technical achievements. Hollywood has never been more technically, at least up until now, has, has never been more technically proficient. There's never been more expertise available more cheaply than today, or more readily available than today. What is failing Hollywood is its storytelling. Hollywood has forgotten how to tell stories. It's forgotten what stories kind of are in that sense. It's forgotten what the core of stories are. Um, and it, And it's gotten to the point where Hollywood has distorted what storytelling seems to be in the greater culture to where even the people who are going against Hollywood have lost their sense of storytelling too. They've forgotten what stories are. Stories are not just Hollywood, but with an opposite message. And there's a lot of layers to that that I'm not, I don't want to get into today. Um, That's all right. I, you have, you have thoroughly thrashed Napoleon and, and given everything it deserved. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not mad at the movie. I'm not angry at the movie. I'm not, you know, I'm not offended at the movie. I'm not trying to be cruel to it or mean or demeaning. I'm not, you know, trying to mock it or make fun of the director or actors or anybody in it. This is just what's wrong with the movie. This is where it goes wrong. The story is wrong. It's emotionally dishonest. Because human beings are complicated, and you can have a person who is, you know, seems one way to the world, but is another way in private. But you need to ex depict that to the audience. The audience needs to see where that exists. They need to bridge that gap. And this movie cut out all the things that would explain that gap. Because it focuses so much on his relationship with Josephine, none of his achievements on the battlefield make any sense. Mm -hmm. They need to show him being a great leader, and they just don't. They need to show him being charismatic. They need to show him inspiring his troops. They need to show him being confident and uh, walking among his men and talking to his generals and keeping their spirits up and doing things to win their confidence. They need to show him having the confidence among his men that he lacks at home. If that's the thesis, if that's the truth you're trying to present. And they don't. They just add, there's a few teeny, tiny things of, of it, but they're so lost in this movie that, that they're almost non sequiturs. They're almost... Uh, cameos from another character who stepped in for a moment um, to pretend to be Napoleon. I mean, if that's your thesis, that here is a Napoleon who is not confident, and here is a Napoleon that is confident, you need to show Napoleon being confident in his sphere, away from his wife, at the battlefield, this is why he can win these great victories. This is why he can lead his men. This is why when he started marching from his landing after his exile towards Paris, all of these soldiers 
who were sent out to stop him and shoot him, defected and joined Napoleon and overthrew the king without a shot being fired. Why would they do that? Why would they find him such a compelling leader that after, you know, 300 days, after this disastrous attack on St. Petersburg, where he lost 560,000 men out of the 600,000 sent into Russia, why would his men still love him so much that they would voluntarily put him back on the throne? If you don't show the charismatic, confident, appealing Napoleon, if all you show is the servile Napoleon, it doesn't make sense. And the audience isn't going to connect with the character. The audience isn't going to connect with the story. The story is garbage. So what's wrong is not the movie. What's wrong is the story at the heart of the movie. Because they are missing that core element. So there I guess I did know what they should have been showing. They should have been showing scenes of him being confident, being a leader. Absolutely. Being strong and masculine. DW, I think that is going to wrap it up for us. That was, a, that was a good talk through Napoleon. Uh, you've given me many, many reasons to never see it. <laughs> I hope, I hope uh, everybody listening was well-informed. Um, I, uh, I think I'm out of stuff to talk about. I told you about the dumb stuff I've been watching. Any, uh, any last thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, no. Just once again... It's the storytelling. Mm. Stories have to be emotionally honest, and the less your mind is is clouded by addictions, the less your mind is clouded by, you know, weird fetishes. The better a writer you can be. Amen. Uh, well, I hope everybody uh, enjoyed hanging out uh, and uh, heard about some garbage movies and uh, enjoyed. I enjoyed Daddy War Pig's takedown of Napoleon. I hope you did too. Um, I hope everybody uh, in the chat enjoyed it. We didn't get a lot of questions from the chat. They were just enjoying the rant. I hope uh, everybody listening later enjoys this review. Um, and hopefully we'll be back next week with some more stuff. I'm done for this week, Daddy Warpig. All yours. All right, folks. Um, this has been Geek Gab for Monday, November 27th, 2023. We are here on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Once again, that's YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Every Monday night, or just about every Monday night, at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, you can go ahead and search us out on the web. Go ahead and subscribe and... Uh, Click the bell icon so you can be notified as to when we're going live. Uh, we want to thank everyone who listened live and everyone who will listen later. We are also available on the Google Play Store, on SoundCloud.com, and on the Apple iTunes Store. So you can listen to us on the device of your choice uh, on the web or download us to your computer. We are signing out for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.